We're going to continue this series this morning. We're calling it Advent 2014, but it's this question about um, how, how are we going to experience Christmas this year? And, you know, this, this is a funny thing because it, these years cycle by and we just continue to live one after the other. But the question is, will you experience Christmas in any way different this year than you have in years past or maybe in years to come? Um, and, and we wanted to talk specifically about maybe like the sights, the sounds, the smells, the, the tastes of Christmas, these physical attributes that Christmas has every year for us. I want to remember this morning the, where we talked about last week, and, and I wanted to ask a question. And by the way, this comes out of a kind of conviction we have in family groups where we try to talk about in family groups what we talk about on Sunday morning in more detail in our small group settings. And then the following week, we try to follow up with the week before. What, what did you experience differently? And so for this series, I want to ask that question. Like, what were there things... Last week, we talked about seeing or looking like Jesus, how he saw the world and I don't know, I, I'm wondering, I just want, can't really answer out loud in this setting, but were there things you saw differently this week because you were thinking about Jesus and, and his coming at Christmas? I was thinking about this. My, my prayer for the series is that it would just refocus what we're doing during Christmas as Christians. The whole world is involved in Christmas, so there's nothing wrong with that. But are we doing anything different? Do you see things differently at Christmas? Uh, and, and, you know, I had a few things, and I'm not going to share with because it's not fair for me to use kind of mic, but I had a few things I saw differently this week because I thought about that reality of looking like Jesus looked at situations, at opportunities, at encounters with others. And uh, so, anyway, continue to track with that idea. What, what are you going to experience differently? My hope and my prayer is that you and I become ambassadors for Christ during this season. While, while the culture is talking about all the cool stuff that's going on, and there's a lot of cool stuff, that you and I can actually become ambassadors for the one who we celebrate at this time of year, okay? So today we're going to talk about this idea of, of hearing, hearing. And I want to read from the psalm today, and then we're going to talk through a few of the texts that we have this morning. But I'm going to read from um, Psalm uh, 85. If you want to turn there, you can. Uh, one, through, one and two, and then eight through 13. This is a lectionary assigned uh, text for this Sunday. So we're going to do Psalm 85, one and two, and then eight through 13. You showed favor on your land, O Lord. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. Selah. That is interesting. That's in the text. Eight. I will listen to what God the Lord will say. He promises peace to his people, his saints, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from the heavens. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. I'm going to ask as we enter into the word of God today, you would pray with me for inspiration. Uh, Father God, today we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to worship you. We've come here today. All this is for your glory, uh, that, that we could proclaim rightly the good news of your coming, of you sending your son uh, to save us. Father, today as we enter into your word, we pray that you would give us uh, um, discernment from your Holy Spirit, that we could understand what the word says, and that we could live it out in our lives. Indeed, Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit 
would take the words that we hear from these pages and manifest them in our lives in tangible ways. Show up every day in our lives, Father God, uh, through your word. We ask that you would do that work today and in the week to come uh, for your glory and for our good. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So hearing is a, a, a funny thing to talk about. Um, and I, was, I had all these crazy ideas, and as you can see, I didn't use... I wanted to give you guys some kind of noisemakers, um, but I couldn't think of anything that would really work in this context. You have your voices, by the way, you know, singing or shouting. Not you guys. <laughs> Amen? Don't talk in church. Amen? Um, what are the sounds of Christmas, though, for you, you know? Uh, I always think of Christmas carols. You know, we've been singing those at church on Sunday now. Um, I think about um, those little music boxes that play in people's houses. How about those dancing uh, Santa Claus figures that are really creepy and annoying? Does anybody have those? God bless you. I'm just kidding. Those are awesome. I'm not being mean. Those things that like animatronic things you walk by and they freak you out. They move, you know, they talk, all that stuff. What are the sounds of, of Christmas? Um, maybe it's the, the sounds of the electric train set. Um, we're going to talk about that with maybe the smoke, too, but, you know, that, that going around the tree. Or, or, or maybe um, it's the sound of the crinkling paper, you know, or the shredding of paper, depending on the age of your kids, or the folding of paper when you get older. Uh, maybe the sound of honking horns in traffic, you know, or frustration or shopping malls. There's, there's nothing quite as good at spoiling the mood of Christmas for me than setting a red light in Fairview Heights or Edwardsville. <laughs> I just, there's nowhere else I'd rather, I'd, there's nowhere, it would rather be anywhere else at that moment than there, is what I'm trying to say, right? Um, people honking, honking their horns, getting impatient with each other. I don't know. Maybe, hey, here's a funny thing, the sounds of Christmas. Um, ha, maybe it's the checkout. The, have you noticed that the checkout registers beep? Did you guys notice that? I always thought that was so that they knew that they paid, you paid for the item you were buying, you know? Um, but it's funny, I was actually in Walmart this week, and I heard, and they all beep differently. Did you notice that? It kind of reminded me of, like, being in a casino. No, listen this week when you're in Walmart, or in, almost, Walmart's probably the biggest culprit because they line up all there. But, you know, they're all, it's like a little cacophony of noise. It's, it's interesting. Why? Why, why, why is that the sound that we, we like to hear? There's a reason they're doing that. Maybe, maybe here's some other sounds. Maybe it's the clinking of forks on plates. That's a good sound, isn't it? Here's one of my favorites. Maybe it's the sound of quiet conversation over very full stomachs. You know what I mean? The after-dinner murmur, you know? I mean, usually before you eat, everyone's excited and ready to go, and then you eat, and everyone's quiet, and then afterwards, there's like a few kind of quiet conversations happening as people are different states of consciousness in the house, you know? Maybe it's the sound of football on the TV in your house or some, some, some holiday show, some annual event. I heard this week that, um, what is it, Rudolph turns 50 or whatever, that, that, movie, that animatronic thing that we've watched every year. Pretty wild. Or maybe it's the, the sound of kids giggling in the other room. I love that too. Ch children's laughter is a great sound of Christmas, isn't it? Uh, I, I was, uh, a few years ago, I actually shared it in worship, um, one of these um, 
Christmas flash mobs at the mall. Have you guys seen that video of the Christmas flash mob at the mall where, where the professional kind of, or the, this, this church choir went into the mall, into the atrium, and they started, and they actually had, they started singing. Um, I think it was, oh, come all you faithful or something like that. And, and then, uh, then actually they had Joseph and Mary come in with a baby, and like all these people were standing around. And, uh, this week I saw one. I don't know if you guys have seen it yet. It's making the rounds. Uh, a, a guy uh, singing, um, this is a light of mine in a grocery store. Have you guys seen that? Anybody seen it yet? Yeah, there you go. A few people have. It's pretty interesting. Dude just shopping for groceries, and he starts singing this light of mine, and then people start coming out and singing with him. It was a setup. You know, you can tell, because my brought a cajon, <laughs> a tambourine. I don't shop with a tambourine at a grocery store. But then all of a sudden, in this moment, they transformed a space because of their voices. They changed an experience for many shoppers because of their voices. Maybe they even changed the sounds of Christmas for someone because of their voices, right? Uh, this, the, all the texts that we're going to hear today say one thing about this. This is a time of year to proclaim God's favor, right? This is a time of year that we proclaim the goodness of God manifest through Jesus Christ, his great gift to us in this life, his great gift to the world. Um, I just read for you the psalm, Psalm 85 today, and I want to just hear these words again. And, and something stood out to me. He starts out saying, you showed favor to your land, Yahweh. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all of their sins. The first thing that pops out to me is that it's all about him, him, him. This season is all about God, God, God. It ought to be for us. It ought to be so much more about him than about who we are, right? It's about Jesus and what he's done. It's about God and his great gift in sending his son. And especially in the shadow of the cross, we recognize the powerful reality of him giving us Jesus. At Christmas, you, you, you. But not only does it say it's all about him, 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 but the word says that he did a few things. It says he showed us favor in the advent of Jesus. He showed us favor to the whole world. It says he restored our fortunes. And actually, that's funny because it actually says that it's kind of like the idea of it's rescuing people from slavery, that Jesus came to set people free. Remember that today as we go on in the scriptures. He came to set people free. That's why Jesus came. It says also that he forgave our iniquity, right? He, he forgave our iniquity. That's our wrong or our sinfulness. And then he covered our sin or our transgression. So he comes in these ways that are very real and very powerful, but he comes for a reason. And we must recognize that this time of year. Psalmist says that this is a time of year that we can proclaim the Lord's favor and his forgiveness of sins. We get to join the angels in proclaiming the goodness of God at Christmas. And look what else we have down in verse 8. I will listen to what God, the Lord, will say. He promises peace to his people, his saints. Man, that's a good word. That's, that's Old Testament good news right there. He promises peace to his people, 
to his saints. Let them not return to folly. Second thing, surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory will dwell in our land. This idea that God himself is bringing peace and his glory and that his salvation is near. Um, This is something that this time of year, I think we have an opportunity to really proclaim that in people's lives, you know, that God came to bring peace. And I say that because sometimes we're the, we're the worst, we can be the worst offenders of creating discord at Christmas, creating controversy, feeding or fueling controversy. But his gospel is peace. We're sent to come and proclaim it. Um, not only that, but that salvation is near. And I'm hoping that what we hear today from the text is that we're given the opportunity to go and be messengers of the good news of Jesus. We get that this world is broken and full of sin. That's why Jesus came. But here's a season where we get to say, and, but it's so close to you. Jesus is closer to you than you can imagine right now. The proclamation of the psalmist was that salvation would be near in the coming of the Messiah. His salvation would draw near to us. It's a good, a good word. And then the arrival of Jesus would be an intermingling of perfection with humanity, okay? And I, I want you to, this is like, the Psalms are always poetic, but this is a particularly strikingly beautiful portion of Psalm, and I want you to hear. It says, love and faithfulness meet together in Jesus. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. That's an odd thing to write. Righteousness and peace kiss. And by the way, if you're reading your Bible, you say, well, Bill, it doesn't say in Jesus there. I, I know, but this is about the advent or the coming of Christ. The psalmist is singing of the day when righteousness and peace will kiss, will be intimate. Righteousness because God demands perfection, but peace because he, he, he doesn't condemn us forever. He sends his son to bring peace to us. Man, what a beautiful, I want you to hear, love and righteousness will meet together. Righteousness and, our love and faithfulness will meet together. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. And then faithfulness will spring forth from the earth. The righteous looks down from heaven. And the Lord will indeed give what is good. And our land will yield a harvest. Man, that's good news. Righteousness goes before him and prepares all the ways for his steps. Do you see what I'm saying there? This idea that in the, in the coming of Jesus, this beautiful manifestation of perfection, of pure righteousness and peace, our faithfulness and love meet together and intermingle in our time, in our time, um, which is what we're going to actually talk about now. Um, the truth is that each year Christmas proclaims God's righteousness and his patience and his perfection. And I want to share with you from Second uh, Peter uh, this morning as well. Or, yeah, Second Peter 3. You can turn there if you want to. Second Peter 3, 8 through 15. This, the season of Christmas proclaims God's great love, mercy, and patience. Listen to the word. Um, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord, will not, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, but he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Or what kind of people ought we to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. Peter reminds us in his letter to the churches that a season of proclamation of God's mercy and peace is a season of salvation, right? That this is an opportunity we have, and we have it every year at Christmas, Another year, you might go, man, another year has gone by, but that's another year of God's enduring patience for, for us, his people, and for all of us. Uh, Christmas should remind us that God is enduringly patient with us. Um, this, this, I love this quote, um, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day, and the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. We live in a culture of impatient people. That's where we are. And I think that, that, that Peter wrote that to a group of impatient people as well. Nothing new there, right? But we think that, impatient, that, we think that, that mm, patience is failure. Well, if you wait too long, what are we waiting for? And Peter says, no. Patience means salvation. Patience means hope. Patience means his promises being kept to all of his people. The season of waiting. This is the hard thing about Advent. Um, I keep interchanging these words, Advent and Christmas, because this is really the season of Advent, of waiting for Christmas to come, right? Um, but it's like that tension that builds leading forward to Christmas Day, and you've been training for that your whole lives. You know, if you were a kid raised here in the States, you've been training for the endurance of waiting for the true treasure to be revealed on Christmas Day. Some of you actually were better at being uh, impatient and sneaky, <laughs> Right? by opening gifts. Anybody do that? Anybody get in, in your parents' or your closet and dig around for your gifts before they were due? Yeah, a few of you are being honest in church. I appreciate the honesty this morning. Yeah? Uh, peeling the tape, becoming like forensic detectives, making sure you put it back exactly like that so your parents would never know. As a parent, I've learned that your parents don't really care. <laughs> but good for you being sneaky. Impatience. Right? We can't wait till Christmas. We can't wait. And Peter writes, and he says to the people who are saying, how long will God wait to return? And he says, don't, don't mistake this. This patience is for salvation. He's not slow. As a matter of fact, he gives us some math. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, man. A thousand years is like a day. That's what the scriptures say. Crazy idea. How long has God been revealing himself to his people? Thousands of years are a few days. God's enduringly patient with us. He, he desires for us to be saved. That's a matter of fact. Um, I'll read real quick, actually. In verse 10, it says, um, But a day is coming when the Lord will, uh, 
but the day of the Lord will be like a thief. I mean, the day is coming where we'll be accountable. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare or, or burned up. I mean, there's a day coming where it'll be, like, it'll be over like that. So it's not like perpetual, forever, never-ending state of things, but for a season. But the good news is that this season of patience is a gift to us, uh, and it comes for salvation. Knowing these things ought to change a few things about how we live. The one is we ought to look forward to things as people. Um, we, we sh- and this is really, I think, a fair criticism that um, we ought to be more patient than people who don't believe in Jesus as people, as human beings. We should be more patient than people who don't believe at all. Uh, when you get mad, people are being impatient, or maybe you're being impatient yourself. Um, we, we should check ourselves because we ought to be enduringly patient. That's what um, Peter says here. We should look forward to the things that are, that are coming uh, in Christ. We should expect a new heaven and a new earth, man, where things are fully restored. The joy of our salvation will be uh, revealed in, in a new heaven and a new earth as well. Um, let's see what else we have. We should be found being blameless or at peace with God. Man, that's a tough place to live too. But Peter says we should be living there. Just this place of trusting God for everything, of, being, uh, of trusting him and his timing with everything. And, and as I've already alluded to, in verse 15, um, bear in mind, he says, to be very clear, our Lord's patience means salvation. Our Lord's patience means salvation. So this is a gift to us and to others, and it's a gift that we can offer uh, to others um, this season. What, what will it sound like, you know, the Christmas season for you? Uh, will, will it sound like patience? Um, will it sound like enduring? Will, will it sound like salvation uh, to people? Um, I also, I kind of missed this, and I apologize, but I also want to point something out, because sometimes we talk about this in church life. Um, the reality is this, that God desires that no one should perish. And it comes in verse 9. It says, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, right, but everyone to repent. And so I want to point out those two things before we move to our final text this morning, that, that he, he does, he want, he's patient with us, but he wants us to, to repent. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to perish. And, pe- and I've had that conversation with so many people, why would God send people to hell, you know? But his desire is that everyone would repent and turn to him, that they would be saved, they would be reclaimed, as the psalmist said, Right? And he's enduringly patient, hoping that we would repent and return to him. His desire is that none would perish. And yet some will. Some will. We have an opportunity to talk about that this Christmas. Um, what message will people hear from you this Christmas then? What will be the pressing issue? And I mean, I mean, really, like when you meet together, when you're having turkey or whenever you're having ham or whenever you're opening presents, what will the enduring message brought through you by the grace of God, will it be one of salvation of good news, of hope, of joy, of a way forward, of peace that would go beyond a season. You know what I mean? It would go beyond the instant gratification of opening a present and getting what you want into something that you need, a Savior born in a manger. Will our words be of invitation to those who feel far from God? 
will our words be of those of truth? To people who don't know the truth, will our words be words of love to those who need to hear them this season? I wanted, uh, our final text is actually the Gospel of Mark, the very opening uh, verses of the Gospel of Mark, Mark 1. It says, In the beginning, the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it was written by Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, wilderness beware, or be, <laughs> prepare the way of the Lord and make straight his paths. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and ate uh, oh, a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John's proclamation of the coming Messiah. A beautiful, beautiful testament and a testimony to us. The truth is that um, Jesus is always good news. Jesus is always good news. I don't know if you've heard that said before, you know, they got to have bad news before you have good news. Man, we got tons of bad news. Jesus is the good news. But one huge idea or theme we can get, and this is that Jesus should be better news than us. Do you know what I mean? John the Baptist comes, and he's baptizing people, and they are coming. It says all the people came out from Jerusalem in the countryside to be baptized by John for the forgiveness of sins, right, and to repent of their behavior. But John says this about Jesus. There's coming a person who is bigger than me. There's coming a person who's better than me. And this Christmas, our proclamation of a gospel ought to be a God who's bigger than us, that Jesus is the Savior that he is worthy, that he does bring blessing, that he does bring hope, that he does forgive sins, but it's bigger than me. You know what I'm saying? In other words, if, if your best hope of proclaiming the gospel is, your, is to proclaim yourself as the gospel, that's the gospel that's inadequate. You must proclaim the gospel of Jesus. You and I are not worthy to untie his sandals. You and I are not worthy to be called his son, his children. You and I are not righteous in and of ourselves. So this season becomes a season where we, we proclaim, when we talk about this nearness of salvation, the drawing near of Jesus, his, his entering into the world. It's a proclamation of him and his righteousness and not our own. You say, well, that's so, of course, man, Jesus, I get that. Listen, how many of us proclaim the gospel of us? You know, if only you were like, more like me, you'd be okay. That's not true. If only you knew Jesus, you'd be okay. Holidays are especially tricky like that. We can think, well, look at how good we are. No, Jesus is worth looking at. Proclaim the good news of Jesus. John preached that you must repent. And then he also preached forgiveness, man. And I think we can preach both those things. You must repent and you will be forgiven. Jesus is always good news. You will be forgiven in his name. <laughs> I can't, I just, this, I think we messed that up. Anyways, I'll stay off it a little bit. But man, just to preach forgiveness to people, you've been forgiven. Try that on for size for a minute, you know? Just, just think about that next time you have a conversation with somebody that you think, they're just totally screwing everything up. And just be like, they're 
going to be forgiven in Jesus. They will be forgiven. They're being forgiven. And that's good news, man, that we can proclaim to the nations. Um, and like I said, God made it all about Jesus. Or John made it all about Jesus. Do you proclaim a gospel that's bigger than yourself? That's the question. Uh, you know, is you, are you your best hope this Christmas? I hope not. I don't know why I'm not. My best hope this Christmas is Jesus. It's the best hope we have. His righteousness and his authority. So how can we, in wrapping this up, how can we make Christmas sound like good news to others, right? I'm thinking family and friends, because you're going to see most, maybe coworkers at work. How can we make Christmas sound like good news to people who maybe are offended by Jesus or don't like him? I heard a, a, a funny story about someone at the parade route that was being talked about Jesus, and they said, I don't, I'm anti-church. And they ended up saying, I'm anti, I'm anti-Jesus. And then the person says, so you're anti-Christ. And they were like, no. <laughs> you know. That sounds like bad news, doesn't it? That's bad news. No, no. This is good news for the nations that Jesus came. Chris started, I don't know if you were here for that part, but Chris started sitting up here reading Isaiah the prophet, and he says this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her service has been completed. Now listen, and her sin is paid for. That's good news, right? That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. That, that for all the sins that she, Jerusalem, had committed, she received back double from the Lord. Not sin, but grace, forgiveness, comfort, assurance. The gospel is, is good news to the nations. And, and I, I read that, and I thought about that, and I thought, gosh, it feels so soft, you know, just speak, speak comforting words. But that's what Scripture says. Speak comforting words, not harsh words. This is what it says next, that Psalm, uh, Isaiah the prophet. Like a voice calling one in the wilderness, in the desert, prepare a way for the Lord. Make straight the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley will be raised, and every mountain will be made low, and the rough ground will become calm and level. The rugged places plain, and the glory of God will be revealed to all mankind together, that they will see it. They will see the Lord's glory plainly in the season. That's what John was preaching, the coming of the Messiah. All these things will be made smooth. And the, the voice says, what should we cry out? What should I say? And basically, and I, I could read it, but it says, you know, the grass burns up. Even the faithfulness we exhibit as flowers in the field burn up at the Lord. It's all of our things are temporary in this life, but God endures. His grace endures. His love endures. His patience endures. And his salvation endures. God's love is eternal for us. I want this to really matter for you and me, right? Not just like a sermon series, oh, it's a cute thing to talk about, but in our real interactions with people. I don't know, I want, to be, I want to be challenged myself. How will my words be words of comfort and peace and of good news this Christmas season? How will yours? And who's going to be there at work or at home or in the car, in your life, maybe today at church? who needs words of comfort and peace and assurance and salvation, share with them. It's our, it's our opportunity, church, to share it. Even as we enjoy all the sounds of Christmas, it should be part of what the sound is. Pray with me if you would. 
Our Father God, I thank you so much for the great good news of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the words actually escape me, Father, for the magnitude of work you did in sending your Son to come and proclaim a new heaven and new earth in his name. And that he would die on the cross to forgive our sins is unimaginable, especially at Christmas when we celebrate the coming of the baby, that we remember that it was through his work as a man on a cross that we were saved. That in him, righteousness did meet peace and faithfulness did meet love. Father God, today as we've come into your house to experience you, I pray that as your people, we would have a right understanding uh, for your gospel and the season of proclamation. May you invade and infect all of our hearts that we could not help but be compelled to proclaim words of truth and of love and of mercy and of forgiveness to the nations. And for the ways that we proclaim false messages, uh, uh, forgive us. Forgive us for the things that we say are, are hope when they're hopeless. But teach us to proclaim the true sovereign nature of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. May all the nations be glad this Christmas season. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.